You're listening to Courtside Club, presented by Caesar Sportsbook. Michael Jordan, Jason Tatum, and I went and golfed with him two summers ago, and I had met him before. You did? Yeah, and so, oh, but dope. still. So that's why you're golfing. Still. I figured it out. Yeah. And welcome to the Courtside Club. Today, I am super excited to have the CEO of Pure Sweat Basketball and the number one NBA skills trainer in the world. And he's also one of my good friends. Drew Hanlon, welcome to the Courtside Club. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. This is the first time we've like got together off of a basketball court, not doing drills. So. Exactly. We're normally on the basketball court shooting in some capacity, working with one of your NBA players. But today, I wanted to talk to you, get your backstory, and just kind of dive deeper yeah awesome i'd be excited we were talking about this off camera but like it's been for those of you guys that don't know we've known each other for years dating back to like zach levine and andrew wiggins pre-draft so yeah um we both kind of like saw each other come up and it was funny because like i saw the grind that like most people don't see because most people i think really discovered you during like 2k yeah but like I remember when you were, like, doing just, like, basketball drills on YouTube and, like, we're one of the first, like, YouTube slash social media influencers, which makes it kind of cool to see, like, how much success you've had now. Yeah, I was doing so much, like, behind the scenes and creating on my own. And, yeah, I think people don't realize that, like, I was working in a restaurant. I was, like, modeling on the side. Like, it, I didn't just walk – I just didn't come to L.A. and just walk into, like, a hosting gig like 2K. But – I feel like when we met, you also only had a few clients. You had David Lee as one of your NBA clients, um, and then Zach Levine and Andrew Wiggins, who were pre-draft. Yeah, it's, I think David and Brad Beal were like the the only two like full-time NBA clients. They were both like from St. Louis. Yeah, and like I was working out a lot of NBA players at that time, but it wasn't like clients, you know. And, and right. I, I think there's a difference. Like it's funny because nowadays social media, everybody like if they work with somebody one time, they like take pictures and videos and posts but it was one of those things where for me I always like wanted clients like people that I grew with and so yeah I really only had like two guys at that time and then you obviously saw you know that that pre-draft I had Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine and Jordan Clarkson who was coming in and out of town so yeah it was at the beginning of both of our careers kind of. So Andrew and Zach like one story I'll never forget. Um, we were in Santa Barbara at P3, which if you guys aren't familiar, it's like this like sports training facility, like sports science, I think is how you described it. Um, and we were having a conversation after one of the workouts and, and you were asking the guys, you're like, are you guys ready to like go to the NBA? You know, and they're like kids at the time. They look so different now. And I remember you asking, I think it was Andrew, like, what's going to be your first purchase when you go to the NBA? And he was like, oh, there's this sick new pair of J's that I really want. And you just, like, laugh because you're like, bro, you're going to be able to get, like, <laughs> like a lot more than houses. that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. So I just... Zach, Zach, to compound that story and make it even funnier, Andrew actually had a couple things that he wanted. Like, he did. He was like, these new, you know, shoes and, you know, I want, like, this new watch and had a couple things. Andrew did. And for Zach, he was like, man, I cannot wait till I get, like, a bunch of true religion jeans, like some fresh Timberland boots yeah. and, like, white T-shirt, but I am going to get a chain. But that yeah. was, like, his fit that he planned on wearing, like, to every exclusive event. So and it was just, like, 
it's cool too because as you know now like doing with Zach like he hasn't changed like obviously now his wardrobe's changed and right. stuff like that his perspective on you know being able to obtain nice things but it's just it's cool when you see somebody at that start and then when you do see them grow and and uh, for like guys like Zach and Andrew who haven't changed much and like I feel like neither one of us has changed yeah it's pretty cool to see uh you know the path but then also the consistency as well it's weird because I still think of them as kids in a way, but I want to get a little bit deeper into your backstory until we go too much into like the NBA side of things. You grew up in St. Louis, and when did you start playing basketball? I don't think I even know this. I was like one of those kids that like just picked up a ball when I was real, real young, and I just fell in love with basketball. I was actually better at soccer than I was at basketball. We have the same story. Yeah. Because so, I sucked at basketball and I was good at other things, but I liked it better. <laughs> yeah. My mom played college soccer. My grandpa grew up like playing soccer. So like I was, I was in a soccer family um, and my dad played football. So basketball was like not something I was supposed to do. And I'm also like undersized, I'm, you know, short yeah. guy, but I just loved it. And um, I grew up in St. Louis and Michael Jordan was the biggest thing ever. You know, we didn't really, ha- we didn't have an NBA team. So we just kind of grew up in that Michael Jordan era. You know, I was yeah. born in 89, so Michael Jordan was really rolling. And so I idolized him. And so I grew up loving basketball, started playing when I was younger, started really working hard because I had to. I I wasn't naturally blessed with athleticism or with height or whatever. So, you know, everything had to be self-learned. And so, yeah. um, but I just fell in love with it. I found myself, even when I was doing well in soccer, I'd gravitate towards going to the, the gym after school and uh, then I started, you know, really starting training seriously in like sixth grade. And that was when I started doing my shooting program in the morning. And then that led to me playing college basketball. And I feel like I had the exact same like grind with basketball, right? Because we're both small. People told me like she'll never go Division One. telling my parents, just prepare her. I know she wants to go Division One or wants to, you know, play in college, but she's not really like built for that, you know. And it was one of those things that I guess when you're a kid, you have this like blind enthusiasm and you're just like I can accomplish anything and then you do though and obviously like you had a successful career and like made waves for yourself but what was that like the weird thing is like I always say that I wasn't blessed with athleticism I wasn't blessed with height but I was blessed with parents that really believed in me and so it was one of those things where they were just like if you want something like we're gonna do everything in our power to help you get it we're not gonna force you to do anything we're not gonna push you to get anything but we are gonna make sure that we support you in every way possible and so my parents were, were more so the aspect of like, if you want it, like, here's what it's going to take. And now are you willing to do what it takes? And, um, and that was a no brainer for me, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, I never really had any doubts that I was going to make it, you know, it was just one of those things that, um, obviously I grew up and I, I didn't think, you know, I was going to go to a mid-major school. I went to Belmont and, you know, we, we dream of, you probably dreamed of playing at UConn or something like Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. I hated UConn. UConn and Tennessee. Like, yeah. and, and for me, it was always, you know, Duke and North Carolina, but yeah. Um, at the same time, I was I was going to give myself the best chance possible of, of getting to the level that I could get to. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize is how much the mental side of the game, like the confidence and believing that you actually can plays a, a critical part in actually obtaining it. So right. um, I definitely always possess that confidence. And then the work ethic uh, was second to none. So I focused on shooting. Like that was a thing for me. I knew like okay, naturally, I'm not that fast. I can't jump. My ball handling skills were just, I actually just hated dribbling. So I was like, I don't want, I don't even care how well I can dribble as long as I can dribble well enough so I can get my shot up when I want to. 
that's what I'll focus on. And I feel like you took a similar path as well. And I saw a video recently, I don't know if it was on social or what, where you took like, were you in high school or college and you were talking yeah. about like so two how things. many shots you put One, up? One, when we first when we first met, we used to do on-court drills. And so yeah. Rachel would come and be like, hey, Drew, listen, I'll do anything but ball handling or <laughs> footwork or this. So I'm like, so basically you'll just do shooting. She's yeah. like, no, I'll do anything but everything else besides right. shooting. So we end up just always doing shooting drills. But I think shooting is the most important skill in basketball. Like Today's game, obviously, Steph Curry altered the game by shooting more threes than anybody. So I, I was the same way. Undersized, you have to be able to shoot. So... Um, you know, I did, I shot a thousand shots in the morning before school every day when I was in high school. And, um, that clip actually went super viral because I was given a motivational speech to a bunch of campers in Miami. I was doing a clinic in Miami and I told them about my morning routine. And I was basically like, listen, you guys have to find something that separates you from everybody else. Cause everybody wants to play college basketball, but only like 2% of high school athletes play college basketball. So you have to be in that 2% somehow. Right. And so if you're not super gifted, you know, with height or super blessed with athleticism. And so I told them, I said, for me, I gave up sweets when I was 12 years old. That was like one of my like things like, all right, I'm going to sacrifice now to succeed later. (laughs) And the other thing was I shot a thousand shots in the morning. So I said that. And one of, you know, my haters online was like, you didn't actually do that. Like that's cap. Yeah. So I dug in the archives and I found a story and I actually, the morning that they had done the interview, I shot 1400 shots that morning and you know, here I am with braces, curly hair. And so I just posted it just because the baggy Jersey. Yeah. Cause I I really do think that people that don't have the same work ethic, they can't relate. They think, Oh Mm -hmm. man, that's gas. Like, you know, you saw a lot of people when Kobe Bryant used to tell all these hard work stories where they'd be like, man, he's, you know, he's just gassing himself up, but it's like anybody that was around him that actually was in the trenches with him saw right. all the, what I call unseen hours that went in when no one else was watching. And so, um, but I think it is a good story for, for people to relate to just because, you know, I, I look at it like this, you know, say you're a, you're a parent that goes mm-hmm. to work every day. When you're walking out of the door, you don't wait for your kids to applaud you like, Hey, good job, mom and dad. Thank good job <laughs> for going to work. Cause like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to work. That's yeah. what you do. And as an athlete, you're supposed to put in work and that's what you're supposed to do. So I think that nowadays we want to get applauded for everything that we do and we want, it's kind of like a, do you see what I'm doing? Kind of society instead of just like putting in the work and letting the results speak for itself. And I think that the cool thing with both of us is we put in a ton of unseen hours and then we did get the results. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, while people may not see all the the work that we put in behind the scenes, they did end up seeing us get college scholarships and then, yeah. you know, um, basically turn that college scholarship into a basketball career, which we're both now doing. Which I still got a lot of people when I got my offer from Old Dominion and then ended up going there, a lot of parents and other players like, oh, she got lucky. And I'm like, how do you not see, like, that's an excuse for me. That's that's them making an excuse as to why they didn't get there. Because I had girls on my team who were naturally so much more gifted than I was, but I was the one who probably like throughout the day spent like five or six hours in some way working on my game, whether it was strength training or on the court or like going for a run or, you know, working with my skills coach after practice. And then you would have, I had a girl on my team who was like five, eight and could like snap the rim. Like that's how athletic she was. And she would just kind of like, all right, see you guys later. Ended up going division one, but I'm, it's, I don't know. There are levels, and I'm sure there's that in the NBA as well, even at the highest level in the game. So you talk about Kobe, 
somebody who clearly was obsessed the best of the best yeah. but then obsessed to that level it's funny like luck always favors the hardest working people you know what i mean it's just and like there is that. there is opportunity <laughs> there's opportunity that's granted to different people and individuals like you look at you know let's use the nba where a player is on a certain team they're not getting the opportunity they get traded now they have more of an opportunity and they finally shine so there is that but um it, I always believe that if, if it's meant to be, it's going to eventually be. And, um, you know, I think the people that just work really hard and they continue to kind of knock down doors and figure out strategies to advantageously put themselves in positions to win, I, I feel like those are the people that end up winning in the long run. I think that was one of the things even for me during COVID. So obviously, like, we, we get locked down. I had a contract that had ended like a week and a half before the whole country went on lockdown. So I went from like having a job to not having a job to having two shows lined up for me to host for them. Just like, wow, timing couldn't have been worse for me. But during that time, and it was like, it was hard for me mentally, but I kind of like tapped into, I guess what I built when I was younger as to, I just like grinded it out and I did what I needed to do. I did a lot of stuff for free. I just kept keeping up with my social platforms and reaching out to different places and having meetings and like creating on my own. And now like almost two years later, I'm getting the benefits now. For sure. But if I didn't do that during that time, I wouldn't be like sitting here with you today. For sure. Hosting, you know, my podcast and my show and having these different opportunities and doing this and that. And so I think that's something, even if there are any kids or younger people listening now, like take that work ethic, like that work ethic that you learn in athletics is going to continue on. You just might not see the results, you know, until Donald. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's funny because I always say consistency trumps intensity. And I think that we live in a culture where everybody's about intensity. So they're like, you know what, on January 1st, I'm going to start this brand new diet. (laughs) I'm not going to eat it all. And they start eating air salads and they start, you know, doing this and they do it for two days and then they just, you know, completely fall off the wagon. And it's like those little daily disciplines add up over time. And you don't realize it. Like, you know, if you eat bad today and you go on the scale tomorrow, you might be up a half pound, but it's unlikely. You're probably, you know, water weight might fluctuate a little bit, but if you eat bad for a month, you're going to see it, you know, Mm -hmm. same thing with the positive side of it. You know, if, if you lift weights today and you go try to, you know, dunk a basketball and you can't dunk, you're not going to be able to get up higher. You might actually go the opposite way because you're sore. But if you do it for you know six weeks, you know you do it for longer, then you're going to see your athleticism improve. So I think that too many people are like all about like the like motivation, and they rely too much on that instead of just relying on you know straight like habits and discipline, which is going to win out over time for sure. Have there been any NBA NBA guys that you've seen who maybe like when they first came to you? naturally weren't the best or like still had room to grow but because of their hard work you've seen them take off yeah i mean a ton of them um but i mean like let's use joel and b i mean he's a guy that's seven foot one 280 pounds and um each year he's added to his game like right now you know he's doing crossovers between the legs and mm-hmm. he's playing like a guard and i remember his rookie season everybody was like you know oh you're a center you need to go like just like get as close to the basket as you can and just duck in and you know on on screen and roll roll to the rim and he was like no like i i know that i can be better than that i know i can be more versatile mm-hmm. than that and so he's an example uh, Zach Levine Zach Levine didn't play at UCLA he was projected 29th in the draft i never forget he was projected 29th cuz i got the screenshots 
of all these analysts saying, I don't know why Zach Levine thinks he's ready for the NBA when he's not even ready for college. You know, he's going to look great in a main Red Claws, which is a G League team jersey next season. And now Zach's a, you know, back-to-back all-star. Yeah. And we knew how good he could be, but it was just he had to put in the right work over time. And eventually he, he proved everybody how, how special he truly is as a player. Well, I remember him and Andrew coming in together, and Andrew was like everybody, like all eyes on him. But even in the gym, you could see Zach's like work ethic. He was super hungry for it. Zach, during pre-draft, we had to keep him out of the gym. We had to literally <laughs> lock the gym and not make it accessible because he would work out in the morning. Then he would go lift weights. Then afterwards, you know, he's supposed to take a nap, and he was like watching film projects or doing yeah. form shooting because we changed his shot. He was doing form shooting in the in the mirror of his hotel room. And then after that, we'd come back for a night workout. And then after that, he'd hit me and be like. What you want, fam? And I'm like, no, like, like I'll see you tomorrow because he didn't understand like the load management side of like, yeah. hey, your body can only handle so much. But that those are the people you love. You love the people that crave improvement so bad that you literally have to say it's not smart to go overboard. Um, and you also love the people that um, want to be coached, want criticism. They want you know to know what am I doing wrong so I can you know improve it and correct it so that I can be better from it. Yeah. You go to college. So here's the story about Belmont. So I was getting recruited by bigger schools. Yeah. Belmont calls me. My college coach, who's one of the, I think he's top 10 in all times and wins, Hall of Famer, everything, unbelievable coach, unbelievable person. He calls me and he's from Nashville, or he's from Tennessee. Yeah. From Knoxville originally. And so he has this country twang when he leaves me this voicemail. Yeah. I couldn't even like low-key understand him. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, I'm a coach at Belmont. And I had never heard of Belmont at the time. So I was like, I, I remember I didn't even return his first call because I'm like, all right, I've got these bigger schools. And at the time, one of the mistakes I was making is I was judging people on the jersey and their name instead of on the fit, which now I you know, make sure that I, I recommend to all these high school that's people. That's what I did wrong. I, th- I think that's why I didn't last at Old Dominion because I was like, wow, 11th in the country, big offer, Coach Wendy Larry, let's do it. And then I was miserable. For sure. So I get the second call, and it's from the assistant coach, Casey Alexander, who's actually now the head coach at Belmont. And um, he calls me and is like, hey, man, listen, we've been to the NCAA tournament the last two years. Um, you know, we'd, we'd love to have a player like you on our team. So I call them back. We, yeah, we have a good conversation. We schedule a, a visit to go down there. And I'll tell you what, I just I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the players. I fell in love with the coaching staff, the support system around it. And I realized this is the best fit for me. And so yeah. I went to Belmont. We ended up playing in two NCAA tournaments. Like we opened up my senior season. We lost by one at Duke. So like, again, I grew up Duke, North Carolina rivalry. We're playing on ESPN. We lose by one at Duke, at Cameron. Um, so I got to experience everything that I dreamed of. That was the one aspect that I love, that I could contribute on a winning program. We were competing for championships. The other side that I didn't realize as much was Belmont – because of the way that we were, they wanted us to be regular people, regular students, regular whatever. They gave us the summers off. And so during the summers, I was traveling around city to city in my car doing camps and clinics and building my brand, building my business. I was traveling to, you know, one summer I lived in New York with David Lee. When I was still in college, I was training him. But it's like I wouldn't have those opportunities if I went to a high major school where they yeah. made you do summer school and they made you live on campus and do weight, weight training and workouts. So uh, from a basketball side, it was amazing. I loved it. But also from a just a, a life side, I loved it as well. And we had completely different experiences. <laughs> like, 
because I went in there thinking that that was the kind of experience that I was going to get. I was like, oh, I get to play basketball. I knew I never wanted to play in the WNBA. I was like, but I get to have four years, become the best player that I want to and can yep. become, maybe get to the tournament, like have fun, win games, all this and that, get a great education. I get there. I'm like, okay, can't major in <laughs> what I wanted to because it doesn't fit in with our practice schedule. Yep. Um, can't like take this internship with ESPN because it doesn't fit in with practice schedule. And then I'm not like, I'm just becoming a good basketball player. Oh, also, by the way, Rachel, we're going to switch you to the point guard position. And you hate dribbling. I'm like, (laughs) what? So now I'm staying an extra hour after practice doing ball handling drills because my sophomore year, I was going to be our our starting point guard. And I'm like, wait a second. So I had to completely step away from the game in order to set myself up for life after. No doubt. So, yeah, that's why. I mean, yeah. like, I'm still in group text <laughs> with some of my college teammates. Like, to this day, like... Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and, and people people don't understand that, like, you know, a lot of people throw out the word, like, brotherhood and family when they're talking about teams. But um, it was a really special, you know, it was a special group of guys, and it's amazing how much we supported each other and continue to support each other. And so nowadays, we don't obviously get to see each other in person as much, but we're always still you know, talking trash in the group chat. And um, yeah, it's just a really, it was a really enjoyable experience. So I want to get more into that with you starting up Pure Sweat, getting your NBA clients. But before we do that, I would love to take a halftime break. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app ever. And honestly, the only one you need. All right, it's time for the second half. And I want to jump into more with what you are doing now. Everybody knows you from social media, from your Unseen Hours series, from Pure Sweat Basketball, from all of your NBA All-Stars that you have in your roster. What is going on in Drew's life now? Yeah, so it's weird. So I have like two parts of my life now. Um, The one aspect is what I'm most known for, which is the work that I do with the NBA guys. That is like a full-time job. Like I joke around all the time. I say I have like three kind of responsibilities. And that's one, I'm their trainer, their skills coach, their, you know, basketball consultant, uh, which requires me to do on-court workouts, uh, off-the-court film stuff, analytics stuff. Um, That's one piece of it. Two is I'm like their life coach slash therapist slash somebody that they can trust. You know what I mean? Because there's not many people that they can trust with their their deepest, darkest secrets or people that they can really relate to and have those heart-to-heart conversations that they know that they can – you know, they can feel safe around because I'm not going to share anything and I'm going to help them and give them advice and give them ideas to kind of bounce around. The number two is the most important one. And that's something that I I think that not as many people understand because when a client has a great game, my, my mentions and my DMS are flooded with fans that are like, Oh my God, you're the best. You're the goat. Like unbelievable work with so-and-so. And when they have a bad game they instantly flood it the opposite way and they're like you suck he needs a new coach you know i can't believe that you are stealing money from this client and what they don't understand is it's not a um it's not a one-time thing it's like i've been with all my guys like jason tatum and brad beal started with me when they were 13 rj barrett when he was 14 or 15 every one of my other guys zach levine kelly Oubre, uh, joel and all those guys started before they were ever in the nba so we've been together for their entire career so I always say judges by the body of work instead of just like a night, a random night in February where they're playing, you know, one of but the no one's going to remember. No one's going to remember. Next it. So, um, but yeah, the life coaching side, the mental side, the being able to to help them off the court is 
even more valuable than on the court. And, and one of the things that I think is really cool is, you know, David Lee was my first client that retired. And, you know, it was kind of weird for me because I'm like, you go from talking every day about basketball to now they don't need you anymore, right? They don't mm-hmm. need you for what they needed you for then. Yeah. But we talk just as much now, but it's about golf and life and, you know, and stuff. He's and becoming so- an old man <laughs> golfing now. That's yeah. like an old man hobby, Drew. But it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's cool because we've built those relationships that are beyond the game of basketball and we're going to be friends for life. And so, um, you know, and that's, that's the one aspect of, of my world right now. And the other aspect is actually doing that life coaching, corporate coaching, motivational speaking. I'm writing a book, doing podcast. Um, just because I know basketball is such a small piece of the general population. And, um, I really want to help more people find like inner peace. Like if you look, anxiety numbers are through the roof, depression numbers through the roof. Mm -hmm. People just aren't happy. And even people, the funny thing is some of the people I consult for are a hundred millionaires and a couple billionaires. They have everything that everyone dreams of having, but they don't have the one thing they need, which is inner peace. And so, um, I've started to shift my focus on just being able to help the general population. Yeah. Sorry. Peace, I'm just showing know, you my bracelet. It says peace. Peace. <laughs> like that, that's what I'm all about though, because I feel like, you know, there's so many people that are striving for more and it's like, that's great. I, I love ambition. And you, I mean, you know, I don't really sleep much as much as I should. And I just, I'm always working, but it's, you don't sleep or eat. But I always have energy. You know, I know. Positive but he's energy. always like, like so amped up for like no matter what we're doing. If we're like going to play golf, we're in the gym. If we're, I don't know. Just randomly, anything. like people always laugh, but it's I, I get that from my family. Like, you know, my mom's one of those people where the other day she actually has to have surgery. She tore her hamstring, and she tore her hamstring, and she's getting ready to have this big surgery, and she's still answering the phone. She's like, you know, Drewy, like, and then everyone's like isn't she like down and out? Like, and like, Oh yeah, she can't walk right now. She's like, I don't know how people do this. She's like, I'm crawling everywhere. She's like, don't worry. I'm going to try to drive with my left foot. And uh, and like, she's just like a, doesn't matter what's thrown at you. You got to deal with it. And so, um, being able to help more people in that regard, because I think that, I think that a lot of people don't have the, don't have consistency with what they say their life is like and what their life is really like. You know, and I always say you can't outrun you. And I think there's so many people that have these inner struggles, inner uh, problems and issues that they're not willing to voice. And so they end up dealing with them throughout their entire life. And so um, hopefully I can tap into that and be able to help more people find that inner peace. And so they can finally, like, love themselves and love the life that they're living instead of having to portray that they're, um, you know, living some some great life on social media and, and to their friends and family. Yeah. You talked about that you're writing a book. That's something that you've shared with me. Um, and, and I said to you, I was like, Oh, you're the, the Tim Grover of 2022, you know, relentless is one of my favorite books. And you came back to me and you were like, well, kind of, but I'm taking a different approach. And that's something that you mentioned. You were like, I'm taking an approach of like how we can put this to our actual life. Cause relentless is one of my favorite books. I've read it like three, four times. And that's one of those books that kicks my into shape when I need it. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I still kind of have that like athletes mentality. If I'm like feeling sorry for myself or whatever, I read a few pages of that and I'm just like, okay, let's do it. Like no excuses. Yeah. Let's go for it. Um, But one thing in that book, and I wanted to get your take on it a little bit, is he talks about the dark side. And that's kind of like what you're talking about is like people holding on to things. 
he said that everybody has that, and even the the athletes at the top of their game have something that is what you would consider their dark side, or maybe what the public doesn't know. It can either destroy you or make you stronger. What do you think? So here's the cool thing. So for those of you guys that don't know, Tim Grover was basically the original kind of independent basketball trainer. He did more of the body than I do more of the skill. So we were a little bit different in that aspect, but he worked with Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, the list goes on. So uh, when it comes to the independent training world, I mean, he was the guy. And now he does a ton of motivational speaking. We actually spoke together in Orlando last month. That's cool. And we spoke back to back, and it was funny because when it comes to our athletes, we have such a similar message as far as, like, you have to be so mentally sharp that nothing can rattle you. You know, you can bend but not break. Um, I call it unbreakable faith, like, where it's like nothing that can be thrown at you can stop you. You know, for him, he calls it a closer, you know, a cleaner, a mm-hmm. closer and stuff like that, where you just have this different level of mentality. The one thing that we differ on is I believe that if you look at all the, the best athletes, the GOATs, they've all had almost big time life problems because they didn't know how to turn it on and off. So if you look at, you know, golf, for instance, we talked about that. Tiger Woods had huge life like crisis. If you look at Michael that, Phelps, yeah. the best swimmer of all time, he's went through a ton of you know, public, you know, issues. You look at Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. he's had his own, you know, things that he's had to deal with. And so I look at it and I say, on one end, you know, if you have no off switch, it does help you be, you know, uh, kind of relentless for lack of better terms yeah. in your field. But I also want to help my athletes win off the court as well as on the court. And so being able to um, win on the court does require that kind of ruthless, like just like all in mentality. But then also I want them to be able to have that inner peace where they can live, you know, happy lives outside of basketball because most athletes retire before they're 40. You know, you have the Tom Brady's of the world, you know, Michael Jordan might push that 40 edge, but so that means you're going to have, you know, maybe 20 to 40 where you're in a professional athlete. It's a small chunk of your life. And that's like, that's on the long end because what's the average lifespan for like, an NBA player, not lifespan, but you know what yeah, I mean? Like career talking, span. Let's say, let's say, let's say, let's say that most, most like, um, and we're talking about the highest level of athletes. They might retire when they're 35. Yeah. So they maybe have 15 year careers if they're like, that's if they're really elite. Right. And so then the rest of your life and even during those 15 years, like one of the things that I always do with my guys is try to snap them back in reality because, you know, some of my, my clients have collectively made $3 billion. None of them are 30 years old. So it just shows you they have a ton of money and they're all young. But a lot of them have gone through things where they're like, oh, my God, they're stressed or whatever. And I'm like, time out. Let's go back. If you were 15 years old and somebody told you that you could have $400 million in contracts, you were going to be an NBA all-star, you were going to be this, what would you do? And every single one of them just smiles. And I'm like, you are literally living your dream. And I saw it in Santa Barbara with the guys. Yeah, like, you know, it's, it's they just wanted different. just some new Jays, and now look at them. It's it's and so the thing is, I look at life as a bigger picture. I look at basketball as just such a small piece of of the puzzle. And so, with a lot of the work that I do, that's what I try to do. I just try to get them to appreciate all the blessings that are in their life instead of stress about all the wants that aren't in their life. And you know, my grandma had a saying that uh, I'll never forget. I always say it, but. She used to always say, Drew, you're, you're never going to have everything that you want, but you're always going to have more than you need. And when you think about that, it just puts everything in perspective because like we're in LA right now 
In LA, a water problem is that a water costs $15 at a club. Yeah. Whereas a water problem in Haiti, where my little sister's from, is that there's no clean water to drink. Those are the same. They're both water problems, right. but they're different water problems. And so I think that too many of us stress and struggle about things that really don't matter. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the second phase of my career is that's going to be just helping people kind of achieve not only what they want as far as success, but like really defining success is just being able to, to live comfortably. We talk about Michael Jordan or even Kobe, like back in those days, you didn't have even the different pressures that the guys have now with sure. social media where like they're accessible 24 seven. And then even somebody who's not in sports, not in entertainment, but is constantly like scrolling and comparing and seeing other people's lives that are better or seeing like, oh, they look happy. I'm sitting at home and I'm not happy. So when you talk about like the anxiety and the depression, all of those things, I think, play into each other. And then not to mention, we just like are still kind of like going through a pandemic. There's just a lot of like heaviness right now. And the other thing is I have some clients sometimes um, or business guys that are, are very successful and they'll talk about this new deal and it's stressing them out. And I'm like, just don't do it yeah. or retire. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I'll that. I'll be like, don't or retire. And, and what I happens feel like is, you've said this shit to me before. You've just been like, for sure. uh, why are you doing it? And I'm like, yeah, like I don't know. <laughs> my golden rule is if I don't want to do something, I don't do it. Yeah. And you know that like, that's why I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do it. Like, and people laugh, but like, you know, I mean, there's times where I show up to a club and I'll be in like a, a sweatsuit and people are like, what are, are you doing? Yeah. yeah. They're like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm not here to impress people. You know, I'm here to yeah. have fun. So um, I, I just wish more people kind of dropped all the stress and stopped doing things they don't want to do. And there are things you have to do sometimes to provide for yourself or your family that you don't want to do. Or there's little yeah. pieces of a business that maybe you don't um, necessarily like doing. But um, overall things, if they stress you out, just find something to replace them that, you know, provide the same benefit that those, those things do. So your book that you're writing, can you share the name? It's called Stop BSing Yourself. Stop BSing Yourself. And it's funny because when... When people thought when when people hear the name, the original thought is, "Oh, he's talking about like be disciplined, lock in." And that's what well, that's what I said when you told me you're writing that book. I was like, "Oh, this is relentless part two, but like a new wave of it." And like I obviously respect you and and think that you are up there with Tim. You're just you know a lot younger and in this new wave. But like I was like, "Oh, like you can really do this." That's what but I was it's thinking. Part, it's part that it's the biggest part is like stop BSing yourself like. Actually follow through with the things that you say you're going to do. Yeah. I think that confidence comes from keeping the promises that you make with yourself. I think that if you tell yourself that you're going to eat well for a certain period of time, you actually doing those, those small wins over time will build up to confidence. I think that when you're living a life that's consistent with the life that you're telling or showing to other people, that also brings confidence and, and self-love. Yeah. But it's, it's weird because I ask this to people all the time. I say, would you do anything for the people that you love if they were in need? And they always are like, of course. Well, yeah. And I'm like, do you love yourself? Yeah, so why true. aren't you doing the things for yourself that you would do for other people? And true. there's so many things that, that, I mean, people stay in bad relationships that they shouldn't stay in. People stay in bad jobs that they absolutely hate. Um, people continue doing things that they know aren't beneficial for them. And so that's what Stop BSing Yourself is about. It's like, hey, what do you really want? And then how do we achieve that? And then are you willing to do the things that you need to do to achieve that? That's what I've seen also with your career is it seems like you are building this team. Obviously, we didn't talk about Pure Sweat too much, but 
check it out. He has a whole team of trainers that work with you, and then obviously you have your your roster of NBA yep. guys and and college guys coming up. But what I see you doing, and tell me if I'm wrong, is you're building up pure sweat, and you still have like your core guys that you're working with, but you are kind of taking a little bit of a step back and making sure that your trainers under you can kind of handle the load, I guess, of that day-to-day on-the-court practices. And I see you doing a lot more in this space of like it, it takes all sure. of life. For sure. I mean, I think that you know the first phase of my career was – transforming players coaches trainers games and the second phase is just transforming people's lives you know i i I just think i see the holistic approach and i i see the dms from players were like oh my gosh coach drew you've completely helped me with you know my game make a team you know whatever Mm -hmm. and these are people that i haven't met and i'm like wow like it's i've been able to impact so many players and i'm like there's so many people out there though that need somebody to kind of you know pat them on the back or yeah. or pull them in a certain direction or push them in a certain direction and so I want to be that voice to everyone and I just like I said I mean I just think so many people are fighting internal battles that they can't win with themselves and so hopefully I can be a little assistance to you know them finally beating those demons and and you know finding that uh, that piece that we've continued to mention but can you still help me for my celebrity games <laughs> on the court? For sure. I'm never going to step away. Listen, I have a celebrity game at Final Four. The last celebrity game I was in, I was like 0 for 6 or 7 from 3. I've never, ever been that, but I, I didn't I'm guessing you blame the like, ball or uh, something. No, I definitely had an excuse. <laughs> I definitely had an excuse, but I can't tell, tell that to you because you're just going to be like, you know, whatever. But my, I'm not going to have an excuse this time because I'm going to at least get on the court. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, definitely I'm, I'm always going to be around the game of basketball because it's something I love doing. I love helping, you know, players out, but um, I really do love helping people through basketball more than I love the actual basketball, which is some, hard for some people to believe. You know, they'll be like, hey, do you want to come play pickup? Hey, do you want to do And I'm like, no, like I don't really enjoy playing basketball anymore. I enjoy what I can do through the game of basketball, which is help put a smile on people's faces. And so uh, just being able to do that in another manner is going to be, you know, it's exciting for me. You say that, but you're going to play pickup later with Drake. So we're having a little, little, uh, little like, pickup run. He's pick so humble, later. but he really like <laughs> knows everybody and has played with celebrities across the world. But we are at the end of our game, so before I let you go, I have some buzzer beater questions for Let's you. Do it. What is the best game that you've ever sat courtside for? Ooh, there's been a lot of them that are fun. Um, I think my favorite one, not the best one, but my favorite one was uh, Jason hit a game winner. Jason Tatum hit a game winner, and I was sitting courtside. And I remember that it was um, when we had the mask on. Okay. And I remember just ripping the mask off and just going crazy. <laughs> so there is a picture of Jason and his teammates tackling him, and you see me looking like Superman behind <laughs> him. Like You would have thought I hit the shot the way I went crazy. Oh my so, um, yeah, that's up there. I mean, I've. It's been fun. The thing that people don't realize when I sit courtside is I only cheer for my players. So there will be times where, you know, two of my clients are playing against each other. So the other day I was um, at Boston versus uh, Philly. And so Joel and Jason were playing against each other. And Joel came over and he was asking me for some advice during a game. And I'm giving him some advice, but I'm sitting next to Jason's mom. And she's like, don't help him out. Like, you know, my baby, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, um, and then the next, you know, a couple plays down later, Jason's like, yo, what am I doing on my elbow? And the people behind us are like, 
What's First going off, on? yeah, who are you <laughs> who cheering are you? for? You're like cheering every time Joel scores. You're cheering every time Jason scores. And then second off, like, what kind of conversations are we having during the game? Why are they listening to you about their jump shots? Right. So I think that's always funny, especially when I'm not sitting courtside and I'm sitting with the fans. It's always funny because I'll be like, yeah, there we go. Or yeah, there we go. And they're like, you're a front runner or you have both those guys on your fantasy team. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, but I would say the Jason game winner was was my favorite just because I felt like I hit the game winner because I went so crazy. I need that photo. By yeah. the way. Send it. I got a good, it's, it's a good picture. So what is your ideal food and drink combo while sitting courtside? Oh, while sitting courtside, well, lemonade's always going to be my okay. my go-to drink if I'm ordering or something. Or wait, where's your... Uh, yeah, you, I've already went through about five again? of them. Lemon Perfects. Lemon Perfects. So the reason... So here's the thing. Shameless lemonade. Plug. Yeah, lemonade was growing up. I That was how I made money. That was also what I drank <laughs> when I went out because everybody else was drinking alcohol. I would yeah. drink lemonade. And so when... It was actually funny because normally brands reach out to us. I actually reached out to Lemon Perfect because I was like... Hey, listen, I tasted one. It's amazing, but it doesn't have all the sugar and the bad stuff in it. So I was like, it's basically like lemonade without, you yeah. know, being lemonade. Um, but yeah, I would say lemonade would be the drink. I don't know about snack, like maybe chicken tenders or something like that. I'm not a big courtside eater. I'm more like focused on the game. But if I had one meal, it would definitely be my mom's homemade fried chicken or my dad's steak. So like and I'm like a homemade kind of guy. That's like a that's like a Midwest Southern thing. Yeah, you know, like, I, I just yeah. I spend way too much money on Postmates every year because I travel 200 plus days a year. Same. And um, and so I just value a home cooked meal. Yeah. And my last question: What is one event in history that you would have loved to sit courtside for? It could be sporting event or other. Oh, uh, no brainer! Michael Jordan game winner on the Utah Jazz the game shot. six. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I grew up and. I've, as you mentioned, I mean, there are not many celebrities that I haven't met. I've met pretty much everyone, and I know a lot of them on a first-name basis or on a text basis. Yeah. Michael Jordan, um, Jason Tatum, and I went and golfed with him two summers ago, and I had met him before. You did? Yeah. And so, oh, but so, still. So that's why you're golfing. Still. I figured it out. Yeah, so that's st- why you're picking up golf. But still, okay. it was just like, it's like, this is still Michael Jordan. You know what yeah. I mean? And so it was funny because we were golfing and like 13 holes in, um, there was a rain, de- like a big rain delay, like thunderstorms came down. So Jason's like, dang, man, like we're five holes away from finishing. But I'm over here because I grew up idolizing him. I'm like, Rain delay means we get to hang out with Michael Jordan more. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's just cool. Did he I mean, talk shit on the golf course? Oh, for sure. I so mean, was gonna, he has to. That's why I like it. I mean, as we don't do it on the podcast, but like, as you know, my, my greatest gift besides helping people is trash talk. That's what I enjoy more than anything, you yeah. know? And so you do it to me. <laughs> and that's why I like the mental side so much. Like, it's funny because actually, here's a good story real quick, but Tyrese Halliburton is somebody I've never worked with on the court. And uh, he was in Philadelphia the other day, and I was there working with Joel Embiid. And his agent is a good friend of mine and said, hey, is there any way we could grab dinner together with Tyrese? Because I think that he could really learn from you mental side, you know, the mental side of things. So we go to dinner, and I start – I have my phone out, and I start naming off players. And I'm not going to say him, but I start naming off players. I'm like, what do you think about this guy? He's like, bum. What do you think about this guy? He sucks. What do you think about this guy? Good. And I'm like, oh, well, they all average more shots a game than you, so – and he was just like, <laughs> we froze. And I started talking to him and I was like, dude, I was like, he started talking about basketball. And I was like, we got to get the mental side first. And yeah. I was like, just get to 14 shots. 
He wore the number 14 in high school. So I photoshopped a picture of him. He had got his jersey retired, and he was like almost like in tears looking at his jersey. Yeah. So I photoshopped it instead of having his name on the back. It said 14. I put shots per game on, <laughs> underneath. And You're I said also to him, like a Photoshop wizard. Yeah, and I, I didn't. I don't even know him at this point. And yeah. I said like, oh, this is amazing. This is what 14 means, 14 shots per game. So he says, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be more aggressive against Philly. That night, his career high was 28. That night he had 38. And after the game, he was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just got to be aggressive. And I'm like, yeah. exactly. So for me, trash talking is a way to get people to own the things that they normally kind of find justifiable excuses for. Yeah. You know, there's a million reasons why, oh, the team doesn't call plays for me or this or that. And it's like, I just care about results. That's yeah. all I care about at the end of the day. So, yeah, trash talking You know what is buttons to push. That's like a sure. skill that you have. I don't know where you got that, if it's an innate ability, but you know like how to get under people's skin when you need to. And it's not in like a negative type of way, but you know how to pull things out of people. And I know this because you're my friend and you do it to me. Yeah, so. I, I just say like I always say like I'm the nicest asshole you'll ever meet in the aspect of I truly care about people, but I don't care – my saying in pre-draft is hate me now, thank me later. Yeah. I don't care if somebody hates me if it helps them get the result that they want that eventually they're going to thank me for. And so, I mean, there's been times where I've went months without talking to clients because I've went off on them. So as soon as the season ends, they're like, I'm t- like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear from you. Like, don't text me. Don't call me. Yeah. And I don't care. I'm like, that's fine. But then once they need me again, it's right back to it. So um, yeah, I'm all about the end result, and and I really don't care if people like me or, or love me or or if they hate me. I just want to help them get to where they want to get to or beyond it, which is the thing that I live for most. I appreciate that. Before I let you go, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, easy. I mean, for basketball stuff, it's at Pure Sweat. For uh, personal stuff, it's at Drew Hanlon, my name. Um, but yeah, we're putting out a ton of cool stuff. So far, my entire career has been all basketball. And uh, we're getting ready to put out a bunch of life stuff, which will, I think, the help book? the, the what, greater population. When can we expect the book? My birthday, September 28th. That's, like, my goal is so. September 28th. So uh, I've been working hard on the table. There's, like, the, you know, the kind of manuscript behind it. So writing is so different than anything I've ever done before because, you know, um, it's one of those things where you really want to articulate what you're trying to say. But you also have to be very um, – you can't be repetitive, and normally, yeah. as when we're on camera, we're used to repeating the same stories and uh, mm-hmm. delivering the same messages. And so, um, and also trimming the fat. Like, that's one thing I don't like when I read a book and it's 400 pages and I'm like, oh, I got like five pages of notes out of it. Yeah. So I'm really trying to trim the fat so that when people read it, it's like they want to highlight the whole thing. It's going to be lean and mean that's September right. 28th. I'm excited for it. Thank you so much. Yeah, no I doubt. Truly appreciate it. It was a great chat. Guys, make sure that you stay tuned, like, and subscribe. And I will see you next time. What's up, guys? It's Rachel Demita. Thank you so much for watching this week's episode of Courtside Club. Make sure that you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast. We have new episodes coming to you guys every single week, so stay tuned for that, and I'll see you soon.